It's good to be back after three weeks away. We had um, time with our grandchildren, our great our grandchildren, <laughs> first week. And then Rhonda and I had a week away together up to the Sunshine Coast, Millolaba and Melani and around that place for another week or thereabouts. <coughs> and then just this past week I've been down to Narendra to see my dad and spend some time with him. Uh, he's getting he's doing well, but while I was there I picked up his head cold. So end of the service today. I don't want to shake your hand because I don't want to give you this uh, cold, but I am happy to give hugs and kisses. It's nice to be back. It's always nice to go away on holidays and to relax. Hello, Katie. Welcome. You here on holidays. It's lovely to see you. You've probably been here for three weeks. Nice to see you. Um, this morning we're going to talk about a topic which I don't like talking about but which the Bible is very clear in its emphasis upon our responsibilities. I don't have any issue or trouble talking about obedience or commitment or surrender or submission to God and his authority and those sorts of things. So it's in that context that this message needs to fit. I'll talk to you this morning about money. I don't like talking about money because it stresses me. I don't know why it stresses me. It does. Uh, When I have to do my annual... uh, income tax return, it's a stressful time. I hate it. Maybe that's not quite accurate. Maybe hate's too strong, but it's pretty close to hate. (coughs) Rhonda knows she needs to give me a fair bit of room and time and just don't talk to me. Just leave me alone until I get it done. I just, I don't want to rob the tax department of one cent, and nor do I want to pay them one cent more than I have to. Maybe that's why it's stressful. Um, And so this morning I want to talk to you about money, your money, and your money and your attitude towards it and your relationship with God. Usually when I talk about this topic over the years, uh, usually anxieties rise for some people and invariably uh, there's often somebody who is here who hasn't been in church for a long, long time and something has upset them years ago and they went away and now they're back and they're in church and the very first Sunday they're back the pastor's talking about money. Confirms for them the old adage the church is always only interested in your money. And here we are talking about it. Well, it's not true that the church is interested in your money. The church is interested in you. Um, God doesn't need your money. But God does, doesn't need you either but he wants you to be part of his family and part of his kingdom. And in fact, what the Bible teaches about money is God's good intentions for us. If we get this right, then good things happen for us. That God gives us, above and beyond to material things, he gives us the inner sense of peace and content and great joy in serving and following him. So I'm going to talk about money. I want to read from the Bible. Larry Burkett is the founder of a ministry on dealing with finances. And in a Bible study once uh, that he was leading, he was a businessman leading a men's Bible study group, and he shared with him that he had found 100 verses in the Bible, 100 verses, which spoke about money. And somebody else in the group sort of went, I don't think God's that interested in our money, you know, our attitude to money or anything else. It's not a big issue for God. Which led Larry Burkett to go do a much deeper study. And he didn't find 100 verses, he found 2,350 verses dealing with money or possessions or associated topics. 2,350 verses. 
That's more verses than in all of the letters that Paul wrote from Romans to Philemon. So God says more about the issue of money and possessions in the Bible than what the Apostle Paul teaches in the New Testament. That's how interested God is in instructing us. God is interested in instructing us so that we can get this right. Because money, while it's morally neutral, can be a great blessing, but it can also be a great problem. And you may know people, as I know people, uh, that pursuing money, the desire for wealth, for possessions, has consumed them, has taken them off track. So that's the topic we want to talk about today. And at the end of it, I hope you are both challenged, but also encouraged and directed to walk in God's ways on this very important topic and issue. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read four different parts of God's Word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you again. We have the privilege of being able to gather together, the privilege and blessing of having your Word, being able to read it, the gift of your Spirit to teach and to enlighten us, the gift of fellowship with brothers and sisters. And Lord, on this crucial topic, help us to get it right. Help us to be faithful stewards who are lined up, fully obedient, fully surrendered and submitted to your purposes. Lord, speak to us, direct us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Four passages to read from, two from the Old Testament, two from the New. Let's read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 6 to the end of the chapter. So can we put that on the screen? Thank you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6 and following. If you've got your own Bible, that's better. Turn with me there or in your electronic device. This is the NIV that I'm reading you to. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. (coughs) It's the Lord speaking through Moses to the people of Israel. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock, gave you manna to eat in the desert, something your fathers had never known. He did this in order to humble and to test you, so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. 
If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. God's instructions are reasonably clear to the people of Israel, aren't they? He's sovereign, he's the provider, he's the one who's leading his people in, he's going to bless them, but be careful. When I do bless you, when things go incredibly well, when all things are multiplied for you and your resources increase, don't forget where they came from. Don't be deceived into thinking that you did it in your own strength. Don't abandon me, but continue to rely upon me. It's basically God's instructions and they're a good advice to us. Second readings, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 10 and following. 1 Chronicles 29. This is the prayer that David gave when he was king. His heart's desire was to build a temple for the Lord. And God said, no, you can't do it because of your lifestyle, things you've done, but your son will do it. Nonetheless, David still, in commitment to his love for God, was used by God to gather resources, challenge the people, and they collected all sorts of things, building, you know, rocks and stones and timbers and precious jewels and all sorts of things. And then this is David's prayer, having collected, having had this generous giving and fundraising attempt. David prays this. Praise be to you, O Lord, God of, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. And now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Again, challenging instructions for us, the real of having a, a worldview, acknowledging God's sovereignty, God's goodness, that he is the rightful owner of all things and that he is the one who provides for us and is holding us accountable for what we do with what he entrusts to us. Two readings from the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16, just the first couple of verses, which are Paul's instructions to the Corinthians, the Christians there, about a fundraising activity. The Christians in Jerusalem were suffering badly, whether through unemployment or persecution or whatever disadvantages they were experiencing as believers. And the Apostle Paul, uh, along with the other apostles, were raising funds throughout the churches and they were going to send this massive gift back to the believers in the home and other church in Jerusalem. And these are the instructions. It has good principles for us. Chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I instructed the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. On the first day of the week, each one of you set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Save it up. So contribute it. 
save it all up so that when I come, I won't have to, by my charismatic presence, have to pressure you into giving generously. Paul is saying, do it before I get there. Do it out of your hearts. Do it because it's something you want to do. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, is, he expands on that. But I want to read to you 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6 is our second New Testament passage. In two paragraphs, verses 7 to 10, and verses 17 to 19. 1 Timothy 6, verse 7. Paul says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Pretty clear. And in verse 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyments. I like that verse, as I said in the earlier service. Put our hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyments. Command them, the rich people, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Paul again gives clear teaching, and there are good implications that come out of that for us. Let me take a few minutes and outline for you some biblical principles. Most of you will know this. This is a reminder for you. For some of you, it may be new information. Uh, And for some of you, it may, and I hope, in fact, for all of us, it is a challenge for us to check ourselves of, have I got this right? Uh, Am I tracking well with this in this part area of my life? So here are some biblical principles. Number one. Uh, Money and possessions are amoral. They are not evil. Money is not evil. It's the love of money which is the root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. Money, in fact, is good. Do you agree? Anybody want more of it? I do. I'd like some more money. I don't want a lot more. Just a little bit tell you why I don't want a lot more in a minute. But money within itself is not bad, but it can be. It depends what you do with it, and it depends what it does to you. 1 Timothy 4.4 says that God, uh, everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Well, that includes possessions and material goods as well as finances and money. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.17, the verse I your attention to. Instruct those who are rich in this present world uh, not to be conceited. That's where you see it can become bad. 
Money can make you arrogant, it can make you proud, it can make you independent of God. You think you've got it made, you can live your life without Him. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on their finances, on their uncertainty of their riches. But keep your hope on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Why do you have the resources you've got? Well, one of the reasons is because God wants to bless you. He wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to take the money that you've got and to use some of it for you. There are certain responsibilities that we have. There are three, broadly. Let me give them to you like this, all to do with family. I have a responsibility to my family, my nuclear family, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, I have, and my dad. We have a responsibility to our family. We have a responsibility, secondly, to our church family, to contribute to the local church, to support its ministries and its pastors, and their retirement funds and their holidays and so the work of the local church wherever God's word is taught uh, where people are being saved where people are being discipled that's where you want to channel your finances and it's not just the local church it is that but it's also Christian ministries that you have benefited from those who minister to you you ought to think about seriously considering and supporting them in some way, to some extent, those who have blessed you to be a supporter and blessing back to them. That includes both missionaries but also outside Christian organisations, whether it's over the internet or through books or resources or whatever. If you're being blessed and ministered to, you have a responsibility, I think, to be supporting them as well. So to my family, to my church family, my brothers and sisters in the work of God's kingdom, but I also have a responsibility, thirdly, to human, the human family to the people who are poor and who are needy, to the people who are in a desperate situation immediately, or whatever it is, an emergency or something, then we have an obligation to be contributing towards them and supporting them. I think they are the biblical outline and balance. So money is not bad within itself. Money is good. God has given it to us in order not only for us to enjoy, but also to be responsible stewards of it. Now, that's another important biblical point. We are stewards of the resources that God has given us. And God, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God gives different people different abilities to make money. Somebody once said, if you took all of the money in the world and you distributed it equally, so we all now have exactly the same amount of money, within three weeks from now, some people will have more money and some people will be poor. We just have different abilities. We have different values and things like that. And the reality is God has given some people the ability to make money the filthy rich. I don't know why we call it filthy rich, probably filthy Luke or something like that. But some people just have the ability. That's how God has wired them. Others he hasn't. That's okay. That's God and his sovereignty distributed accordingly. Um, and it underlines the truth that God is the rightful owner of everything in the world. He owns it. He entrusts some of it to us. That makes us stewards. And as stewards, we will have to give an account to him of what have we done with the resources that he has given us. If he increases our resources, to, if he increases my resources so that I now have more money or more possessions, then I am to be, and I will be, an accountable steward to him. I am to consider, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? Not simply... 
good. Now instead of buying a VW, I can go buy a BMW. Nothing wrong with BMWs. It's okay if you buy a BMW. I'm not saying that. That's between you and God. But if you want to waste your money on an automobile, then you can. <laughs> what you do with your resources is between you and God. But at the end of the day, they're His. He owns it. You don't own it. You possess it, but He owns it. That's why you brought nothing into the world, and when you leave, you take nothing with you, because it's not yours. It's His. He's entrusted it to you, and He's saying, do something with this. He gives us our resources in order to test us as well. Where is your heart? Is your heart deep with my heart for the kingdom, for the expansion, for people, lost people to be found? Do I contribute significantly to the work of the gospel? Or am I deceived like so many in the world and I'm consuming it on myself? So my income increases and I simply eat at nicer restaurants or I buy nicer clothes or I spend it on me. And at the end of the day, when I stand before him to give an account, I'll have to explain all of that. A rich man once made the observation, he said, that if my assets, if my financial resources doubled overnight, then I would then own just as much as I do right now. Zero. If my financial resources doubled overnight, I would own just as much then as I do right now. Zero. I don't own it. All I have done is if my resources have doubled, I have increased my responsibility for what am I going to do now with these extra resources? What am I going to do with it? There's an Episcopalian church in New York City, a small church, I'm not sure, 40, 50 people, something like that in it, reasonably wealthy people, and one person, a very wealthy person, uh, passed away and bequeathed in their will, probably with no family, bequeathed all of their money to the church, $36 million. Here is a little church, 40, 50 people, that now have a gift of $36 million. Their response? They took it very seriously. If God has given us $36 million, we better find out what he wants us to do. It's not simply build a new building just for us, put air conditioning in just for us. It's what does God want us to do with this? That's to be our attitude because God is the one who owns your Lord. Luke 12, 48, unto whom much is given, much is required. So God entrusts us with the resources to provide for our families, to support our church, to work in the gospel, but also to make a difference demonstrating his love in a very needy world. Last weekend, I think we had Andrew Mary come in between. Andrew spoke to us about compassion. One of the things I like about compassion is why I like it more than I like any of the other things, is that it works with the local church. It's giving through the local church. As you support, as we support kids, it's the local church that's turning up, that's being uh, the arm that's extending this care to them. I like that in terms of the work of the kid. Here are some other biblical principles. Biblical giving is not optional. It's mandatory. We are commanded Corinthians 16 verse 1. That's what Paul says to the Corinthians. Do what I instructed. Do what I commanded the Galatian churches to do. It's been ordered of us. It's under apostolic authority. And in the context it comes immediately after 1 Corinthians 15 58. Therefore my dear brothers and sisters stand firm. Let nothing move you. 
always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Give yourself fully. And straight after challenging that or saying that, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about money, goes on to talk about giving. That full devotion to Jesus includes definitely this part of our life. Biblical giving is to be a priority. That when we are to give to God, in the context of the local church, that second branch, giving to Christian missions, Christian ministries and to the local church, that's to be a priority. It's to be the first thing that I do out of my paycheck or however it is that you work it out in in this electronic age. But it's that first. And then savings and then whatever is left over is for my expenditures, paying bills, paying the mortgage, buying things or whatever. And I'm to do so responsibly. Biblical giving is to be priority. It's God first. The tragedy is that some Christians don't give at all. They enjoy or receive benefit from the ministry of the local church or from Christian missions and ministries, but do not support or contribute to it. Some people give spasmodically. Some people give only when they're present. So if they're absent on holidays or sick, then they don't contribute that portion of their income for that week. Some people come to church services late so that after the offering bag is passed them by, they don't give. This the offering. don't have to do it this week. God is sovereign. It's his will. There aren't many times, but there are some times that I've had people come to me after a service and say, listen, I missed the offering bag. That's demonstrating, you see, a real heart of, I've come prepared to give. It's part of my worship of God in the context of his family. Now, for us, I know, some people, as I had someone come to me after the first service, uh, and we do it as well, is we give electronically. It's deducted automatically. So when you turn up to church, you're not actually putting something in the offering mode because it's taken out already, which works well when you have memories like mine and you're away on holidays or absent or sick or whatever. Giving to God is to be first. Comes before my hobbies, comes before eating out, comes before my bills. Proverbs 3 verse 9. Uh, give the Lord the first fruits of your increase. First. He gets it first. There's a couple of interesting passages in Proverbs. I mean, out of the 2,350 verses, you're obviously this morning only hearing a selection of them. Uh, Proverbs 11. 24 and 25 says one man gives freely and yet gains even more another withholds unduly comes to poverty the author is an observation on life that there are people who are very generous and they give and the more they give away the more they have can't have to give good there are other people who have resources but they hang on to them they don't share and over time it loses, shrivels up, vanishes away. God is somehow in there, working his purposes out. He uses the resources he gives us to test our heart and to challenge us. Proverbs 23. Uh, another couple of helpful or challenging statements. Verses 4 and 5. 
Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off the sky like an eagle. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. As an end in itself. John Wesley preached a very famous sermon on uh, giving of, of money and challenging it our responsibility and how we use it. He has basically three points, which he expands very clearly and strongly. I commend it to you. You can look it up on the internet. He says basically this. Earn all you can. Make as much money as you possibly can. Save as much as you can. And then thirdly, give as much as you can. Make as much as you can. Save as much as you can in order to give as much as you can. Wesley is renowned for, he was a workaholic, but he was renowned for the fact that he had millions of dollars passed through his hands in his ministry over decades because he established, that's my lifestyle, that's my standard of living. He was more concerned about his standard of giving than he was concerned about his standard of living. He was quite ascetic. He denied himself a great many pleasures in life. And the sermon certainly picks up on the challenges that. But he said, that's how much I need, four pound, ten pounds. That's what I need to live on. So every bit of money he had above that, he gave away. And so God was able to trust him. God would give him thousands of pounds. He would take the four pounds, keep that, and the rest would be given to ministry, would be given away. He did that all his life. And they calculated that at the end of his life, he had millions had passed through his hands. Well, he'll be rich in heaven. Not rich here, but rich in heaven. That's our choice. Where do we want to be rich? Biblical giving is not optional, it's mandatory. Biblical giving is to be a priority, is to be God first in all that I do. Biblical giving is a responsibility, therefore, for every believer. That's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. Each one of you, according to your income, put aside an amount that you determine between you and God what you're going to give. Each one of you, slaves, poor, the unemployed, whatever it is, each one of you, it's a privilege and a responsibility that we have as followers of the Lord Jesus to be involved in giving regularly. And if we are parents and grandparents, then it's certainly something we must teach our children. We taught our kids when they were younger. When we gave them pocket money, we taught them to tithe. Why? Well, because it pleases God. It pleases God for us to be faithful stewards, that everything he owns the whole lot, that we trust him and rely upon him and are giving this percentage to him is an indication of my trust and love in him. My hope is in him, not in my ability to make money. Uh, we have a boy and a girl. One of them is very disciplined, and so tithing their 10 cents or whatever it was they got back in those days um, was easy. For the other one, it was like cutting off an arm. Even giving 10% was like one check on the heart, isn't it? So too for us. So biblical giving is to be a priority. It's everybody's responsibility, every believer's responsibility. But biblical giving should also be proportionate. It's as God prospers you. Now by proportionate, I mean it's according to your income. I mentioned tithing. And some people believe that the Bible commands and teaches us that we need to give 10%. That's what is obligated upon us to do. 10%. And that's okay. But I actually think that is selling ourselves a little bit short. It's to be proportionate according to how God blessed us. 
And so 10%, for many of us, could be far too short. But in fact, we should be giving more as God has resourced us, as God has blessed us. For some of you, you might be in a situation where 10% is way too much. Well, I think, as I'll say in a moment, you've got to figure out between you and God and come to an agreement that's between you and Him what you're going to give. And you need to be in the process of doing it faithfully. So it's got to be proportionate. For some, you won't be able to do the 10% just yet. It's a goal for you to reach for. For many of you, you can already do the 10%. And for some, we ought to be giving beyond the 10% with whatever that is. Rick Warren, when he wrote that book, Purpose Driven Life, and when he had uh, sold millions of them, the royalties that came to him, he became a millionaire overnight. And he made a commitment, just like Wesley, with his wife Kay, they sat down and they said, our lifestyle will not change. The truck that he drove back then, he still drives now apparently, he didn't up the value or change his motor vehicle, he didn't change the house that he was living in, didn't change the clothes that he wore, kept it all the same. And so the millions then that were left, he's now channeling into various ministries and missions and stuff and making a difference in the world. So God was able to trust him with millions because he knew he wouldn't keep it just for himself. What's God doing for you? The resources that God is giving you, he's entrusting it to you. You don't own it. He does. And he's challenging, he's wanting you to think through very carefully what his priorities are. What does he want you to do with the resources that you've got? And you need to do so responsibly. That's a priority. That's to be proportionate. Um, and we need, I think, to have a plan plan, I think, is between us and God. That's where you need to sit down and think through carefully. 2 Corinthians 9.7 says that we are to give as each has decided in their heart to give. What's your amount? Whether it's an amount or a percentage, it's easier to think, I think, in terms of a percentage because then as your income increases, it's easy to make an adjustment. But there's another point attached to that in a moment. Here is the plan. Think about your current circumstances, your current situation, your future plans and what you hope to do. And to think about how do I allocate my resources to achieve not just these goals, but the work of God's kingdom. The motivation, I think, the healthy one is, what's the maximum I can give? Not what's the minimum. What's the maximum I can give? Let that be our goal. And if it's 10% is the maximum for right now, well then, so be it. But if it's more, then before God, rise to the challenge and see what God will do in you and through you. Remember, not to be rich here, but to be rich in heaven. So, current circumstances, future plans, pray about it. He's the sovereign Lord, you're in a relationship with him. Lord, what do you want me to do with the resources you've given me? And then write down, make a commitment and commit to it. Good times, bad times, whatever plan you make before God, stick to it. And then the final thing to do is to make it progressive. This is the plan for now. And as God resources me, blesses me, uh, honours me as I seek to honour him, then as he increases my resources, then I ought to be progressing the percentage that I am giving, not always simply 10%. But it ought to go up 11%.
10, 12, 15, 20, 25, 40. Depending on your lifestyle, the resources, whatever, it's between you and God, not compared to anybody else. And at the end of the day, I don't think God cares about the amount that you give. It's not the amount. It's to do more with your heart and attitude. Remember the story of the widow who brought her two coins and put them in the treasury? Jesus was watching her and he was impressed that she put in such a little amount. But the reality is she gave all that she had. That was the heart attitude. That's all I've got. That's all God has given me. But I'm giving it all to him. And Jesus was far more impressed with that than he was with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were bringing their hundreds of dollars, you know, bags of coins, because they gave, out of their abundance, they gave a little. She, out of her poverty, gave everything. The heart attitude. God is concerned likewise, not just with the percentage that you decide that you're going to give, 10% or whatever. God is all concerned, but what are you going to do with the other 90%? It's okay to spend it on yourself and to enjoy yourself. That's why he gave it to you. It's okay to look after your family. It's okay to look after others. It's okay to contribute to whatever. God is concerned that we are wise stewards of the resources that he has given us. So, trying to simplify all of that, (coughs) giving is to be a priority. It should be, I would encourage, a percentage or it's a portion. It's proportionate to our income and it's to be progressive. It should, over the years, be increasing as God resources and places. And maybe for some of you that won't be a reality because God won't resource increase your resources. He'll leave them where they are in his own sovereignty of why ever he does that. But nonetheless to be faithful in that plan of what you decide between you and him. And that of course is not allowing for one other very special opportunity. It's called prompting. Our giving should be priority, first thing we do percentage, should be progressive over the years, but sometimes the Spirit of God will prompt us. We're saving out of our 90%, we've got this 10% or whatever, we're putting that in savings, we're saving up to buy something. We're going to buy a new microwave, we are, but just protect And so we save up the money, how much are microwaves? Two or three hundred? Something like that. Um, <clears throat> so we save our money up, and we now have the $300 to go buy this new whiz-bang uh, microwave. And then the Spirit of God prompts us that instead of buying the microwave, that what we ought to do is take that $300 and give it to this person or this mission or this situation of giving to that one. It's prompting the Spirit. It's like a one-off thing. We should be open to that all the time. And then what we find invariably, that as you obey those promptings of the Spirit, he more than replaces the $300 that you initially were going to have for your microwave. You'll find you'll buy a better microwave and it'll be a better price and something. God is incredible with what he can do. <clears throat> but he looks for us to be faithful. Him first. Evangelist Greg Glory, also a pastor, he tells the story of an older lady who lived in California and who was determined that she wanted to be prepared in case she ever got attacked, mugged or got threatened by a gang or a person or something. So she went and bought herself a gun. A huge pistol. She took some lessons, so she knew how to fire. And she carried that large pistol in her handbag. 
I asked Noel if she had one in her hand that this morning. She said she didn't. <coughs> one day, this little old lady is out shopping, does the grocery shopping, and she's finished, and she's pushing the trolley to the car park, and when she gets to the car park, she sees that there are four guys in her car. So she takes out a gun out of the handbag, and she goes up to the car, points the gun at them, she says, oh, and screams out, I have a gun, I know how to use it, now get out of my car. And they were shocked and scared. They got out of the car and they took off, ran away. She was shaken but pleased. She goes back to the trolley, she lifts the boot, she puts the bags in the boot, takes the trolley back to the trolley bay, she gets in the car, she goes to put the key in the ignition and the key in the ignition works in. Her car is about four or five spaces down. So she did the right thing. She did what she had to do. She took the bags out of that car and she put them in the back of her car. And then she drove herself to the police station and turned herself in. When she got to the police station and told the sergeant the story, he burst out laughing, fell off his chair. And he pointed her down to the, the other end of the counter where there were four young men who were reporting a little lady with white hair who had a very big gun who had carjacked their vehicle. She thought it was her car, but it really belonged to somebody else. Sometimes we get bent out of shape trying to keep and defend what we think is ours. People ruin their lives. Relationships get burned over finances, particularly inheritance squads. But God is calling us to think differently, to be stewards, to be faithful managers of what he has given to us and to intentionally have a plan. I am going to give this portion of my income every week faithfully to God and to his work and to his cause for the gospel. And my priority is not to have a luxurious life, but to give as much as I can to the work of the gospel. That's God's intention and plan for us. And may the Lord lead you as you think through your giving and your managing of the resources that he has entrusted to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are sovereign. You do provide and you have resourced us. Lord, help us to prayerfully think through our obligations, our responsibilities. And Lord, enlighten us of how we can be better stewards. Certainly faithful stewards. Help us, Lord, to earn as much as we can, save as much as we can, in order that we might give as much as we can. Lord, teach us to hold things lightly, but to embrace you tightly, and to live lives that will please and honor you. So, Lord, work in our thinking, work in our choices, and help us to align our lives appropriately with this truth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.